As they negotiate the roads and roundabouts from station to airport, she returns to thinking about her five-week stay at Tim's. With the exception of a tooth-numbingly awful meeting with Ken and a brief argument with Dot, her visit has been an almost unqualified success. Tim, whose various wheelings and dealings have apparently gone well, something to do with the EU saving Greece and Russia bombing Syria, was as relaxed as Alice has ever seen him. As for Natalia, Alice felt as if she was meeting her for the first time, such as their relationship changed since Alice left Ken. Alice wonders if perhaps Natalia's problem was with Ken, not her, all along. Or perhaps Alice herself really has changed. Perhaps leaving Ken has made her easier to be with. She certainly feels more relaxed, more giving, more positive. In fact, she suspects that positivity is like a muscle, a muscle she hadn't used in years. It feels like the more she uses it, the easier it gets. Tim had been suspicious at first. She had seen that clearly. He kept twitching one eyebrow whenever she said anything nice, any time she enjoyed her food or complimented them on the children's behaviour. But after a few days he had visibly relaxed. After a few days he had stopped waiting for the punchline to arrive, stopped bracing himself for the killer remark that would reveal it had all been no more than an attempt at manipulation or sarcasm. Had she really been that tough to be around? Perhaps she had. The bus lurches into a bay and shudders to a halt. The driver doesn't seem to do gentle, smooth or progressive. His movements seem to be very much on or off, left or right. Alice waits. She lets the other passengers fight to get off first, then steps from the bus. She has almost two hours. She'll be fine. She drags her wheeled suitcase to the winding queue for check-in, then spends twenty minutes people-watching as she edges forwards. She sees a girl with green hair and good-looking men in sharp suits. She sees two men holding hands and thinks of Matt and Bruno. She spots a man her age with tears in his eyes and wonders if he's saying goodbye or leaving himself. Her suitcase swapped for a boarding card, she makes her way through security where she gets patted down like a terrorist, then on past border control where a dog sniffles her like a potential drug dealer. She finds herself in a large shopping mall-like departure area where she buys bars of fruit and nut for Matt, then in a tatty crowded departure lounge reserved for her specific, supposedly low-cost flight to Marseille. Despite her successful visit to England, she's happy to be returning to France, she realises. Though every memory of this trip home, with the exception of Ken, has been a happy one, she's been missing the calm, craving for peace and quiet. She had forgotten just how rowdy two young boys could be, and she'd forgotten how uncomfortable it is being permanently in someone else's space. She looks at a woman opposite with two similarly aged boys. They are quietly playing games on individual iPads. They are well-dressed and polite. The boy is even wearing a tie. Compared to Boris and Alex, they almost look drugged. 
They must, she decides, be French. French children always seem to be quiet and well-behaved, verging on subdued. She wonders why that is. The mother, a pretty, skinny brunette, leans over and brushes the little boy's hair from his eyes. Ça va, chérie? she asks. Oui, maman, he says in a cutesy cartoon voice. Encouraged, Alice starts to scan the room, attempting to guess everyone's nationalities. It's pretty.